If the Aramaic Targum has your curiosity and you're interested in seeking out your very own copy, then might I suggest the Restored Names edition, which can be found on my website, The Unexpected Cosmology, putting Yahuwah Elohim back into the Lord God. And also, I personally edited this version. It's a great way to support this ministry. Shalom. Shabbat Shalom for the second time tonight. We are moving on now back to the Genesis Targum. When we last left off last week, Michael and I, we were reading from chapter 5 and chapter 6. We thought we would make it all the way through chapter 6, and I finally had to cut it. I We were like two, two and a half hours into it, and we weren't all the way through chapter 6. I said, we're just going to put this off until next week. And as Michael and I are looking at it again, we're like, you know what? Let's just spend the rest of this week on chapter 6. So. What I'm going to do is I'm going to hand it over to Michael to read chapter six of the Targum again, and then let him start off on the commentary. Michael, are you here with us? I am. Shabbat shalom. <clears throat> mic check, mic check. I'm good. You're good. Take it away. Uh, Alrighty. All right. Palestinian Targum, chapter six. <clears throat> and it was when the sons of men began to multiply upon the face of the earth, and fair daughters were born to them. And the sons of the great saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and painted and curled, walking with revelation of the flesh, and with imaginations of wickedness, that they took them wives of all who pleased them. And the Lord said by his word, all the generations of the wicked which are to arise shall not be purged after the order of the judgments of the generation of the deluge, which shall be destroyed and exterminated from the midst of the world. Have I not imparted my Holy Spirit to them, or placed my Holy Spirit in them? that they, they may work good works. And behold, their works are wicked. Behold, I will give them a prolongment of a hundred and twenty years, that they may work repentance and not perish. Shemyaza and Uziel, who fell from heaven, were on the earth in those days. And also, after the sons of the great had gone in with the daughters of men, they bear to them, and these they are they who are called men, who are of the world, men of names. And the Lord said, saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and all the imagery of the thought of his heart was only evil every day. And it repented the Lord in his word that he had made a man upon the earth, and he passed judgment upon them by his word. And the Lord said, I will abolish by my word man, whom I have created upon the face of the earth, from man to cattle, to the reptile, and to the fowl of the heavens, because I have repented in my word that I have made them. But Noah, who was righteous, found favor before the Lord. These are the gener genealogies of the race of Noah. Noah was just a man, complete in good works in his generation. And in the fear of the Lord walked Noah. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Cham, and Japheth. And the earth was corrupted through the inhabitants thereof, who had declined from the ways of righteousness before the Lord. And the earth was filled with rapine. And the Lord beheld the earth, and lo, it was corrupt, for all flesh had every one corrupted his way upon the earth. And the Lord said to Noah, The end of all flesh cometh before me, because the earth is filled with rapine by, evil, by their evil works. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of the wood of cedars, a hundred and fifty cells shalt thou make to the ark in its left side, and thirty and six in its breadth, and ten cabins in the midst. 
to lay up in them provision in five repositories on the right and five on the left, and thou shalt protect it within it and without with pitch. Um, skipping 15. Go, go thou unto Phison, and take from thence a precious stone, and fix it in the ark to illuminate you. With the measure of a cubit or span shalt thou complete it above, and a door shalt thou set in the side of the ark, and with dwelling places inferior, second and third, shalt thou make it. And I behold, I bring a flood of waters upon the earth to swallow up all the flesh which had in it the spirit of life under from the heavens. Whatever is upon the earth shall be swept away. But I will establish my covenant with thee, and thou shalt go into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and the wives of thy sons with thee. And all that liveth of all flesh, two of every kind, shall go into the ark to be preserved alive with thee. Male and female shall be, shall they be, of all the fowl after its kind, and of all cattle after its kind, and of every reptile of the earth after its kind, two of every soft shall enter to thee by the hand of the angel, who will take and cause them to enter to thee, to be preserved. And thou take to thee of all the food that is eaten, and let it be to thee and to them for food. And Noah did according to all that the Lord had instructed him. <clears throat> all right, Shabbat Shalom again. I will start on 7, I believe. <clears throat> 7, yeah. So we, I personally ended on 5 last time. Um, and I am bottom heavy this time. I have a lot more at the end. So this will probably be a quick turnaround to Noel. So number seven, in the, at least the KGV, because I like to do word studies off the Hebrew. Um, and the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repented me that I have made them. So the two word studies that I thought was interesting. So that word destroy was also used in Exodus 17. And if you know about that chapter, that's, that's the um, kind of the second exodus, the first exodus chapter. But they also fight Amalek. So Exodus 17 says, The Lord said to Moses, Write this in a book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua, that I will utterly wipe out the memory of Amalek from under the heaven. Um, so that word wipe out is the same word as destroyed used in this verse. And I just found it interesting that um, these are the Amaleks or the giants, right? So he's taught, it's using the same word for before and after the flood. Um, so I thought that was cool. And then the second one kind of hints at that as well. Um, and I have a, an awesome connection montage on Noah and Moses. But this is a good one as well, because Moses was leading this, and then obviously Noah. Um, Isaiah 54, 16. So in verse 7, I said, I will destroy man whom I have created. So the same word is used in Isaiah 54, created. Behold, I myself have created the smith who blows on the fire of coals. And produces a weapon for its work. And I have created the destroyer to inflict ruin. So I'm thinking of last week's episode. I think it was last week. Where Cain was a smith. If you recall that. The Tubal Cain, the smith. You know, they worked with their hands. And so Isaiah is saying he created a smith that produces a weapon for its work. And remember, Cain was a worker. You know, he, he built houses. He, he used his tools and destroys them. It sounds just like Cain. So because I've created a smith, um, I've created a destroyer to inflict ruin. And then you link it to that Exodus passage, and it's talking about Amalek and the giants. I don't know. There's a lot of connections between the Cain lineage, the giants, um, the, the, them working with their hands, Tubal Cain. We talked about that as being a free Freemason you know, re religion. I think it applies here. Um, number eight, uh, KGV, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. 
Palestinian says, which was way better, but Noah, who was righteous, found favor before the Lord. That's a lot different. You can use that grace term. <laughs> Go many different ways. If you take the Palestinian, you got to be righteous to find that grace, to find that favor before the Lord. Um, so I want to focus on the eyes of the Lord. You know, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Um, that happens to come up in Second Chronicles 16. It says, For the eyes of Yahweh roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those whose hearts are completely his. You have been foolish in this matter, therefore you will have wars from now on. So focus again on the eyes of the eyes of Yahweh roaming. Noah found grace in those eyes. Um, it said, He will show himself strong for those whose hearts are completely his. That's amazing. So yet your heart has to be completely his. It's almost linking it to maybe becoming righteous, found favor before the Lord. And I thought it was cool. It made me think. This passage made me think of that because we, we, we did the Hebrew James a couple months ago. Um, where it says, you have been foolish in this matter because your hearts are not his. Therefore, you will have wars from now on. So that James 4.1, what is the source of all quarrels and conflicts among you? Is the source not your pleasures that wage war in your body parts? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder, and you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So I just wanted to focus. When your eyes are on Yahweh, you have a heart for him. When they're not, you will have quarrels within you and a war, war within you. And I thought that was cool. I, I know I've had those in my past, and praise God, he's, he's helped me with that. I'll do one more in a hand after knowing number nine. KGV says, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was just a man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Okay, perfect. Walked with God. What does that mean? What does that mean to walk with God? Ephesians 4 says, Therefore I say this and testify, you shall no longer walk as the Gentiles walked. In the futility of their thoughts, they darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts. Same thing. So Gentiles, those out of covenant, not blood-related, those out of covenant, not doing the will, of the Father, they have hardness of hearts, you know, if you if your eyes are on the Father, your hearts are His, you know, you're not going to have wars among you internally. Um, I have a lot left, but I'll hand off to Noel, get him started. Well, thank you for getting me started. <laughs> I was trying to figure out where we ended up uh, last week, and I was originally going to start commenting on Genesis 6-5, but as I'm looking at that, I kind of want to keep where you're at, Michael, and I'll do, I'll cover 7 and 8 and 9, and I could swing back around to those notes at a later time since it talks about depravity of humanity anyways, and this entire chapter covers that. So when we read in Genesis 6-7, what really caught my attention, of course, in the Targum is that the Targum puts a big emphasis on the word of Yahuwah. And you know that... That that may tell us a little bit about when when it was you know written and so on and so forth. My, you know my theory is that this was written before Yahushua walked the earth. I have it, I find it very difficult to believe that the Palestinian Targum would have been written afterwards. And what we see here is, and Yahuwah said, "I will abolish by my word." We know who His word is. It is the same as salvation, and the, and the Targum later on equates the word of Yahuwah to Yeshua. To salvation, I, I'll, I'll build a case later on where it actually says that. So, but pay attention here. He says, "I will abolish by who? By my word." So many people try to pit Yahusha the Son against Yahuwah the Father, 
Okay, you know, Jesus is love, but the Father is wrath. You know, that's that's an Old Testament thing. And Jesus is the New Testament. It's all about love. And yet from the very beginning, we see the Son serving the Father and taking parts in the judgment, in the wrath of the Most High. So what I decided to do is, rather than just doing... Um, a word study on the word, which you will find hundreds of references. That could be a multiple studies all by itself. I decided to do a reference on anything that there was an action that was being produced specifically, specifically through the phrase my, through my word, like the father is saying through my word, these things will happen. So here we see one in Exodus three nineteen, speaking about judgment and wrath. But of course the context here is, uh, Yahuwah telling Moshe how Pharaoh would not let his people go. But it is manifest before me that the king of Mizraim, Pharaoh, will not let you go, nor from fear of him who is mighty, until that by my word ye shall have been punished. Plague. So right here he's saying that the plagues that would befall on Pharaoh and the Egyptians would be through his word, who we know as Yahusha. Uh, Exodus 6, 8, so a few chapters over, and we read, And I will bring you into the land which I covenanted by my word to give unto Abraham, to Yitchak and Yaakov, and I will give it to you for an inheritance. I am Yahuwah. That is a whole other st study we can do right there on how the covenant was always through Yahusha salvation, the word of the Most High. And we lose track of this because we're like, well, that was, the, that was the Old Testament, the Old Covenant to the Jewish people. And then Jesus showed up and he gave us a new covenant. It's like, no, the covenant was always through Yahushua from the very beginning. Always from the beginning. Nothing has changed. Now, here's another one from Exodus 4.12. And well, let's see what it says. And now go, and I, by my word will be with the speaking of thy mouth, and will teach thee what thou shalt say. So here it is Yahusha who is speaking through the mouth of Moshe. I guess he must have stopped speaking when the law came about, right? Because <laughs> obviously the, the Torah is not Yahusha, right? That couldn't have been him speaking at all. That couldn't have been the word of Yahuwah. That's sarcasm. All right, as 33.22 reads, And it shall be that when the glory of my Shekinah passeth before thee. So I think the context here is Moshe is on, on Mount Sinai, and he's about to see the glory of the Father. And he says, I will put thee in a cavern of the rock and will overshadow thee with my word until the time that I have passed by. Already there, we're seeing Yahusha. I mean, the reason we can stand before the Father and not have wrath is because of the role of Yahushua HaMashiach, and here we see that he is really act, active as a role of the high priest, that Moshe can be, the, or the, the father can pass, his Shekinah glory can pass through Moses' presence, and he not faint or die or blow up, explode, or his face melt like in you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, because the high priest, uh, Yahushua HaMashiach, is there, um, basically, I guess, atoning for him, really, I mean, making sure that he's okay. All right, moving on to, this one comes in Leviticus. Let's see what this says. Yet for all this, I will have mercy upon them by my word. So he's having mercy, mercy on the people by who? 
by Yahusha. When they are captives in the land of their enemies, I will not spurn them away in the kingdom of Babel, nor shall my word abhor them in the kingdom. That's beautiful because that refers to us because right now we are in the diaspora. We are dispersed across the world and uh, Yahuwah is having mercy upon us through his word, through the high priest, Yahusha HaMashiach, and we are not abhorred from the kingdom because of him. That's beautiful. And then here's one last one in Isaiah 12, 2. I think this is the clincher right here. Behold, in the word of Elohim is my Yeshua salvation. It tells you right there, the word of Elohim is my salvation, my Yeshua. I am trusting and shall not be moved because my strength and my praise is the fear of Yahuwah. He has spoken by his word and he has become my Yeshua my salvation. So that's the best one. I saved that one for last. All right. Now I wanted to talk a little bit about, I'll go ahead and go over eight and nine since Michael has commented on that. And the one thing that really struck out to me was that Noah was declared righteous. I mean, I, man, I, I, I don't, what I don't, I'm not uh, being, let's see, what's the word I'm looking for here? I'm not demanding that I go to heaven, right? I, I don't feel entitled to go to heaven or into the kingdom. Like, it is purely going to be upon the mercy of Yahuwah the Most High if I am brought into the kingdom. And I hope that, I mean, it would be like the most beautiful thing ever to hear the Most High declare me righteous. Okay, I'm not declaring myself righteous, but just hopefully everybody listening that just is something you thirst for. Like, you want to be declared righteous. And Noah was declared righteous, all right? He, it says he found favor before Yahuwah. And then it says, of course, right after that, Noah was a just man, complete in good works. And Michael commented on some of that. He did a great job. Now, this is going to be rolling off. From, we already went through with uh, Paul and the Book of Romans, according to Torah, chapter 1, in which I talked about righteousness. So, I asked a question in the now that's going to be a separate video from this one. So I'm going to go, again go over this and I ask a question, what is righteousness? Well, to, today the word is indicative of a certain quality being morally right or justifiable. Makes sense, right? So Christianity would say that um, you know that it's it's ironic that like if you go into a Baptist church they hate the Torah. They don't want to obey it, but they, they'll say that we're the—they they, they, they say that you're the scum of the earth. You're filthy rags. You're, you're just a, a, a scuzz bucket of sin. Never mind the fact—they like, don't even want you to be obedient in that way, but they'll say that, that you are righteous. It's imputed on you through your belief in Jesus. That's all you just believe in Jesus, that he's righteous, and he'll make you righteous. All right? But that's—that is not really— uh, that's not really the way it works in Scripture, I'm sorry to say. The Greek word, um, it, and in classical terms, and I tried to pronounce this before, I'm going to miss, miss it up again, dika, io, sign, whatever, just forget you heard that, whatever. It's a Greek word, it's there, you can look it up. And in classical terms, signifies someone who is conforming to the custom. And I may have not made it abundantly clear that uh, the idea is, is that the, the term in Greek actually, as it was used in classical times, came from the Hebrew, because the Hebrews, they interpreted into the, uh, the LXX, the Torah into the LXX, and 
they they kind of they used a word to try try to describe the Hebrew word for righteousness, and in turn that Greek word uh, became the the standard. And so that would indeed be okay. So co- conforming to the custom, the idea of conforming to one singular custom would indeed be difficult to do if there are multiple customs to choose from. If every single culture, it's just they have their own moral laws and they're supposed to live Christianity according to that. That's, that's not the way it works in the Bible, ever. I am told that the Greek version of righteousness is heavily influenced by the Septuagint, as I said. Uh, and so the, the Greek word in the, uh, for righteousness in the LXX was lifted from the Hebrew word zedek, T-Z-E-D-E-K, a word describing actions which fulfill the Elohim-given obligations in the Torah. All right. So let's just put it this way. If you are if you are conforming to the face of the Father, like you find Yahuwah to be beautiful, you want to be in his presence. You want to live with him for an eternity. You want to, you know, Yahusha said in uh, John, was it chapters 10 through 13? He said that everything he said, he first heard from the Father. Everything he did, he first learned from the Father. Think about that. It's kind of like our own children. If, um, you know, like if your child says a dirty word and you, the father, say, where would he have learned that from? And then you look to your wife and she scrunches her face because like, she's like, I-, I know where he heard that from is from you. Because your child sits there and he listens to everything you say. And he wants to be like you and he does everything you do. And that is what the Torah is. If we love the Father, we want to observe He does say what He does, just like Yahushua did, and we will conform to it. That is righteousness. There is a certain standard that we want to live by. And when we fail to, um, to when we transgress the law, we sin. That's the definition of sin. And people will say, well, no, see, you can't obey the Torah. That's impossible. It's impossible to be righteous. And no, it's not. Because the Torah also stresses repentance, even apart from the whole sacrificial system. What Yahuwah wanted was for us to repent of our sins. That's all he ever wanted. He didn't even—the the sacrifice was—the the animal sacrifice was secondary to the fact that he just wanted us to repent of our sins and turn from our transgressions. That is Torah. So, if you find yourself not obeying Sabbath, you start obeying Sabbath. It's not that hard. It's not that hard to do. You find yourself eating unclean animals, just stop ordering it on the menu. Stop buying it at the grocery store. Just start eating clean. It's not that hard. That's, that's repenting of something we've done that has break, broken the law, and we start obeying it, and we start conforming to the face of our Father. All right, so that right there is what is to be declared righteous. And I'll give you an example of those who believed but were not faithful. Yaakov, James says in chapter 2, verses 19 of his amazingly beautiful epistle, you believe that Elohim is one, ikad, that the Hebrew word is ikad. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. I love that because, <laughs> because it's like the demons, it's like when you get into these, these denominations where they're like, uh, if if you want to be saved, you have to believe this umbrella thought. You got to believe the Trinity. You got to. They go down this list. You know, you got to believe in the Virgin Birth. And uh, Yahushua was born of a virgin, but you know, you have to believe these things 
and then and then you're saved. You just got to believe. Just believe. That's it. You know, just believe that uh, Jesus is the Son and He died for your sins and you resurrected. And it's like Yaakov saying, "Well, that's great because even the demons believe those things, and uh, they're not uh, they're not on the path of salvation." So clearly, it's it's not about belief. It's not just about faith. It's the flip of that coin. It's being faithful, which is what Noah was. He was faithful. So here's a here's an interesting contrast to Noah. A lot of people have this idea that um, it, it's almost like it's almost comedic. If you have a guy out in the wilderness, wherever he was, he's building this big boat. That's been mimicked in, in recent movies, that um, Steve Carell movie where he was like played modern day Noah and he's building a big boat and everyone's laughing at him. And Noah's out there building a boat and he's like, you know, repent, the world's going to be flooded. And everyone's just laughing at that. Like, yeah, right, Noah, it's going to be flooded. You know, aha. Well, the thing is, though, is that uh, the world knew the, it, that it was going to be flooded. That was not hidden from them. They knew it was going to be flooded. And, but they refused to repent. Here's an example. This comes from the Book of the Giants which came out of the Dead Sea Scrolls. And this is Enochian literature because it does involve the Book of Enoch. I'll give you a quick uh, kind of uh, rehearsal of the book. These, these giants get together, one of whose name is uh, Gilgamesh, interestingly enough. I have a whole theory that Gilgamesh is the same as Nimrod and that he lived before and after the flood. That will hopefully whet your appetite for another discussion, that there were multiple Nimrods. But these giants get together and they're really disturbed because they all have these dreams that the world's going to be flooded and they know they're going to die and they don't want to die. They want to keep living. So they go to Enoch. Uh, Enoch is still on the earth and they, and being that Enoch is the anointed one, he is the, the inter, um, intercessor. Uh, they go and ask him, can you intercede on our behalf, go up to heaven and speak to the Father? Um, because not even the watchers at this time, they could not even lift their eyes and go up to heaven. They were they couldn't even go up. They said, can you talk to him and end the flood? And Enoch's like, okay, I'll see what I can do. So he goes up there and then he returns. And this is what we read. The scribe Enoch gave Maway, uh, one of the giants' name is Maway, a copy of another tablet, not the one doused in water. Uh, the the one that was doused in water was a representative of the flood and bore his own handwriting, Enoch's own handwriting. The writing on the tablet said this, in the name of the great and holy Elohim, this message is sent to Sam Jazza. We learned about him last week uh, and maybe the week before that and all his companions, the other, the other watchers. Let it be known to you, the giants and monsters. This book talks about monsters. I find really fascinating. Who, who are these monsters? Are they in the fossil record? That you will not escape judgment for all the things that you have done, and that your wives, their sons, and the wives of their sons will not escape, and that by your licentiousness on the earth, there has been visited upon you a heavenly judgment. The land is crying out and complaining about you. There's that curse on the earth we talked about. And the deeds of your children and about the harm you have done to it. Until the heavenly angel Raphael arrives, behold, destruction is coming by a great flood, which will destroy all living things, whatever is in the deserts and the seas. The meaning of the dreams, the dreams that the giants had, uh, matter is by way of a judgment for all your evil. Now, here is the kicker. Pay attention to this. But if you now loosen the bonds binding you to evil and pray for forgiveness, you may be saved. Well, that's interesting. You, who is offering them an out? 
he's actually saying, look, if you guys, if you guys repent, I will hold back the floodwater. I won't destroy you. And the giants, they sit around and go, nah, <laughs> that's how it ends. They're like, they're like, we don't want to die in the flood, but uh, this, this, righteousness, this righteousness thing isn't cutting it for us. And that's why we see at the very end, it's just Noah and his three sons. That's it. Because they all, they just, they didn't want to be righteous, right? They didn't want to repent. So the difference between Noah and the rest of the world's inhabitants isn't that he believed a flood was coming. Many people did. Many people believed the flood was coming, including the angels, the watchers, and the giants. The difference is that he lived out his faith in faithfulness and did something about it. He conformed to the custom of Yahuwah, the Most High Elohim, and was obedient. All right, handing it back over to Michael. <clears throat> I don't know how I follow that. That was awesome. Um, yeah, someone who didn't grow up in church and came into this truth, like for me, like it, it's, it seems more simple. <laughs> um, so I, I guess I'm blessed in, in the fact that I don't have to remove a lot of doctrine, but it's, it's like you said, he just wants repentance. Just repentance, grace was always there. He just wants you to repent and turn back to him. And a lot of people, most people can't do it. Um, all right, I'm only going to do, <clears throat> I have a lot on 14. I'll do 11. All I'm going to do is highlight the differences. So KGB says, the earth also was corrupt before Yah, and the earth was filled with violence. Palestinian goes a little bit deeper. And the earth was corrupted through the inhabitants thereof, who had declined from the ways of righteousness before the Lord. And the earth was filled with rapine or violence. And, you know, I just want to add the inhabitants and decline from the ways of righteousness. It's that simple. Uh, and, you know, that the prophecies in Matthew, the, the days of Noah, you know, that's what we, you know, whether it happened already or in the future. We're, we're looking for that or we're looking back to that. Um, just the decline of the Torahlessness. You know, everybody's just going their own way instead of walking his path. Um, okay, 14, I have a lot. So this is one of my big ones. Um, <clears throat> KGV says, Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and shall pitch it within and without with pitch. And so this blew me away. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, every week I'm going through the interlinear and looking for kind of like clues or something to, and I get probably a lot more benefit <laughs> out of it myself. But that word, the ark, is only used once and it's Moses when he was born so just think about this so Yah's telling Noah to build this ark made of gopher wood room shall they make an ark the only other time it's used is Exodus 2 3 but when she could no longer hide him Moses his mother she got him a papyrus basket and covered it with tar and pitch and she put the child in it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile that word basket is the ark. It's the same ark. It's the same word. So Noah's making this ark to protect, to protect the covenant people from the water. What, what was this papyrus basket doing? It was protecting Moses in the water. Um, I'm going to go way more into that. But, and also I want to focus on the word pitch. So that word pitch, you look in the definitions, it's like tar or something. But there's, a, there's an amazing thing, connection with that, So which is what the ark was covered. So, so so this is saying the ark shall pitch it within and without with pitch so this ark had this tar on it this pitch exodus 
She got him a papyrus basket and covered it with tar and pitch. So even, <clears throat> even the ark, even the basket was covered with the same material. That blew me away. Um, and then obviously the reeds by the bank. And um, <clears throat> so Noah's ark and the basket used for baby Noah was, or Moses was the same word. This blew me away. Um, I'll have more on pitch later. But now, you know, when I, when I did the Yeshua Adam similarities, it just got me into this mode of looking for all these similarities. And I'm going to go over some Noah versus Moses similarities. And this just, you know, turbocharged it, noticing that the ark and his, what he was in as a baby was the same word uh, with pitch, too. So let's start. So they were both covered in pitch or tar to keep them from sinking. <clears throat> in both instances, we find men chosen by Yah to save their family, Noah, or their nation, Moses. And in both accounts... That salvation comes through a violent, watery judgment. The flood, which we're talking about now, and in the next few chapters, and the Red Sea ordeal. They had to go through that Red Sea and were protected. Forty days and nights, they both spend the same period in blessed isolation. Moses at the heights of Mount Sinai, and Noah in the ark. Noah waits seven days before the forty days of the floods ensue. Noah waits seven days. Moshe also waits seven days before his forty-day period on Mount Sinai. Um, it, not sure there was a connection there, but it made me think of the second Edris passage, um, which he said to me, they shall have freedom, you know, when you die. They, sh they shall have freedom for seven days, so that during these seven days they may see the things of which you have been told, and afterwards they shall be gathered in, in their habitations. Again, I'm not sure it fits, but it just made me think about that. I'm going to put that in there so you guys can follow along. Actually, I am negative. Let's try this. done this at the beginning um okay so <clears throat> one of the more interesting interpretations suggests that an ark unlike a ship or boat has no ability to determine where it goes right the inability to navigate or chart a course means an ark is dependent completely on divine providence to make sure it will reach its true destiny so it's not like the oak or the the oak the ark had oars and can or sail it didn't just floated on the water same thing with noah's papyrus basket it just floated on the water. It trusted um, the Most High. Um, so both were guided by divine providence to mark them in the new beginning or the beginning of a new phase in history. So the aftermath of the Great Flood and the exodus of the children of Israel from Egypt. Um, now, I thought this was cool. They, they both were given opportunity to become the beginning of a new nation or world where all the sinners around them would perish. With Moshe in the wake of the golden calf, Yah says, leave me for a moment and I will destroy their memory from under the heavens and I will make you into a stronger nation than them. And with Noah, in verse 17, we'll get to it later. Yah, I'm about to bring the, this is Yah speaking, I'm about to bring the flood waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh under the sky in which there is breath of life. But I will establish my covenant with you, Noah. So it's interesting that they were given the same offer. You live and others will die. Moses is outraged. Noah accepts. Moses prays, argues, bargains with Yah. Eventually, the decree is revoked. What do you guys think about that? And if you remember last week, you know, we're encouraging you to take notes if there's any questions or anything like that. So I made a note there to tell you guys to take notes. And so why? What's the difference there? I'm going over all the similarities. Why didn't Noah just accept it and Moses said no? Or, you know, he prayed, bargained with Yah. As I stated above, Noah's Ark saved a righteous family from God's judgment on humanity. Moses' Ark saved the man who would lead a nation to safety after Yah's judgment on Egypt. Both Arks are about salvation, saving those Yah loves. 
They were life preservers for everyone on board and, and reminded me of a passage in Isaiah 26, which says, Your dead will live, their corpse will rise. You who lie in the dust, awake, shout for joy. Resurrection. For your dew is as the dew of the dawn, and the earth will give birth to, to the departed spirits. Come, my people, enter your rooms and close your doors behind you. Hide for a little while until indignation runs its course. For behold, Yahuwah is about to come out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their wrongdoing. And the earth will reveal her bloodshed. It will no longer cover her slain. So, you know, Yeshua is preparing a place for us with many rooms. This Isaiah passage is, appears to show this place is a protection for his wrath. It just reminded me of both of these stories of Moses and Noah. Um, so this was cool. So I, I told you to remember about the pitch, the word of the pitch. Um, some other things on this verse. So the Hebrew word for the Hebrew word kafar is used in verse 14. That we see translated as pitch. So in here it's basically a tar, right? A tar to keep it, you know, set in place. But in every other instance in the Bible, that word is translated as atonement. That blew me away. So just do the word study that pitch in this example when they're talking about saving, preserving life is an actual tar or something to cover this physical boat or or basket but in every other instance it's atonement that blew me away and i'm going to be talking more about that the moses yeshua similarities and you can see where that's going with the atonement with what yeshua did for us um, finally i'll hand it off to Nolan. i just after all that i want to just say what the palestinian said so make thee an ark of the wood of cedars a hundred and fifty cells shall thou make to the ark in its left side and thirty and six in its breadth, and ten cabins in the midst, to lay up in them provision, and five repositories on the right, and five on the left. And thou shalt protect it within and without with pitch. Again, just way more detail. That, that's really cool. I thought that was awesome. But uh, still have a lot, but I'll stop here and hand it off to Noel. Well, since I have no notes on anything Michael just spoke about, which is all awesome. I'm going to use this opportunity to go back, jump back to Genesis 6, 5. And it's, you know, it's repeating old ground, but again, this is all about the, the wickedness of man, right? This is why the flood came. And so what I wanted to do was go over some passages. Let me just read this first from chapter 6, verse 5. And Yahuwah saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and all the imagery of the thought of his heart was only evil every day. So, what I wanted to do was go through some different passages in different books that I have found that address some of this wickedness, what this looked like. And this first one comes, we're going to read a lot from Jasher. Jasher, even though I have had stressed that Jasher doesn't, strangely enough, doesn't really take the the classical Genesis 6 approach of the watchers coming down. It, it seems to be more of the Sethite view. It, it actually divulges a lot of information on the wickedness in these years leading up to the flood that no other books give account to. And not only that, but actually give credence to a lot of other books too. It just fills in a lot of missing pieces. So here's what we read. And it was in the days of Enosh, Enosh, that the not Enoch, but Enosh, that the sons of men continued to rebel and transgress against Elohim to increase the anger of Yahuwah against the sons of men. So we saw that in Genesis. And the sons of men went, and they served other Elohim, and they forgot Yahuwah who had created them in the earth. And in those days, the sons of men made images of brass and iron, wood and stone, and they bowed down and served them. Now, we saw in the Targum, probably two or three weeks ago now, that 
interestingly enough, they were making idol images of the word of Yahuwah. So they were making idol images of Yahusha. And that reminded us of the Catholic Church as well. So that's, that was really interesting. And every man made his Elohim, and they bowed down to them. And the sons of men forsook Yahuwah all the days of Enosh and his children. And the anger of Yahuwah was kindled on account of the works and abominations which they did in the earth. Here's, the, here's what I want you to pay attention to. And Yahuwah caused the waters of the river Gihon to overwhelm them. And he destroyed and consumed them. And he destroyed the third part of the earth. And notwithstanding this, the sons of men did not turn from their evil ways, and their hands were yet extended to do evil in the sight of Yahuwah. So there was another flood. Why isn't this discussed more often? When it comes to the fossil record, we may be looking at Noah's flood. And then again, we may very well be looking at the Gihon flood. Of course, then again, we may be looking at the Genesis 1-1 events, destruction event. We may be looking at a lot of different resets. Apparently, Earth is a lot of the Earth, guys. And especially if we take like the moon map into consideration, uh, a little rusty at that. We haven't talked about that in a while. But if you look at the, the moon map, if that's any way legit, then then the the realm as we know it is is almost a third of the Earth. Like, like that could... The whole world as we know it could have been destroyed in this third. I'm just putting that out there. Uh, so that's really interesting. So there was a flood leading up to the great flood. Let's keep reading. And in those days, there was neither sowing nor reaping in the earth. And there was no food for the sons of men. And the famine was very great in those days. Now, that's interesting because we, we made the observation last week. I, I think Michael was the first. I never had never seen it. I, I just I skimmed right over it where we haven't gotten there yet. But after the flood... Yahuwah tells Noah that he will never again curse the earth as he did before the flood. What does that mean? It means the earth is not cursed as it was back then. It says right here that there was neither sowing nor reaping in the earth. That's that's pretty cursed, guys. I mean, I just drove a thousand miles this last, uh, twelve hundred miles this last week, and I passed a lot of farmland where there was sowing and reaping. There was no sowing or reaping in the earth, and there was no food for the sons of men. And the famine was very great in those days. So we always we're always told that you know before the flood it was like the uh, I grew up in the Young Earth creationist movement where they would tell us that the firmament was a uh, uh, what was it the um, can't even think of the word at the moment but the uh, you know it was this uh, gaseous layer over us the canopy expanse uh, well they would call it a canopy. And they would they would say that the the canopy was actually destroyed in the flood if you if you're familiar with Kent Hovind, for example, he talks about that, that the firmament was actually destroyed and it created the flood and it's no longer there. And that the the earth before the flood was like a this lush jungle. You know, think of the age of the dinosaurs and all that. Well, according to Jasher, the earth was like a wasteland, a, a wilderness wasteland that nobody was able to farm. So that really explains what this curse was on the earth. The earth can still have curses, but not like it was before the flood. All right. Let's, let's keep reading. And the seed which they sowed in those days in the ground became thorns, thistles, and briars. So they're literally putting seeds in the ground to grow crops, and they're coming up thorns, thistles, and briars. I mean, we talk about, you know, thorns and thistles being a curse to us now. There was a woman in our in our group. She's one of the admins here. She lives in South Africa. If I if I recall correctly, she I, I'm very envious that she gets those uh, those beautiful uh, African um, uh, like those yellow fever trees. 
uh, they're called like umbrella trees or different things like that. And they, they, they have huge thorns on them. I think one of the thorns went through her foot and that, that had to be very, very painful. So we still have thorns that we deal with in this day and age, but when we plant seeds, they aren't literally becoming thorns and briars, like briar patches. For from the days of Adam was this declaration concerning the earth. The earth was cursed. We went over that. Of the curse of Elohim, which he cursed the earth on account of the sin which Adam sinned before Yahuwah. Man, until last week, I'd never picked up on any of this before. This is fascinating. Uh, so, okay, let's, let's read a little bit further. And it was when men continued to rebel and transgress against Elohim and to corrupt their ways that the earth also became corrupt. All right. Another abominable act was the desire of mankind to forsake the command given to Adam to reproduce and fill the earth. This should really bother us because this is what the world is like today. We just had Roe versus Wade uh, turned down, and I'm so uh, thrilled that hopefully there will be less aborted babies in this earth. Praise y'all for that. Uh, whatever is becoming of that, you know, and part of the script and all that kind of stuff, that's another debate. But this is what we read in Jasher. This is fascinating. For in those days, the son of men began to transgress against Elohim and to tra tra transgress the commandments, commandments plural, which he had commanded to Adam, one of which was to be fruitful and multiply in the earth. And some of the men, uh, or and some of the sons of men caused their wives to drink a drought that would render them barren in order that they might retain their figures and whereby their beautiful appearance might not fade. So there's a lot of ways today where there's all this pressure on women that they have to look, you know, like they're, they're 18. If you recall back in the nineties, it was so bad. Like you would go to the, I remember when I was a teenager, I'd go to the grocery store and you look at Vogue magazine and all the girls looked like little boys. I mean, it was, it was just, they had to be so young. They, they didn't even look like a woman anymore. Uh, but anyways, they were killing the babies. They were they were making them drink a drink that would kill the babies, um, and so that they would basically abort them, and they would no longer um, have the the body of a of a mother. And the sons of men caused some of their wives to drink. Zella drank with them. Well, where have we heard that name before? Zella, very interesting. And I'll talk more about that. And the childbearing women appeared abominable, abominable in the sight of their husbands as widows. So it's using the word abominable. There's many things that are abominable in Yahuwah's sight, like actually speaking. They had completely reversed that, where now the very commands of Yahuwah and what he expected of mankind is now abominable. Like the, the very character and quality of the Father is now hated amongst mankind. So, uh, while their husbands live, for to... To the barren ones, only they were attracted. So the, the men would no longer be attracted to mothers. They were only attracted to women who had the look of a virgin. And in the, day, in the end of days and years, when Zella became old, Yahuwah opened her womb. Well, that's interesting. So Zella, she drinks this concoction, becomes barren. We don't know what this is. I mean, this is really interesting. And, you know, we're, I, I can't talk about this because I'll be flagged on YouTube. But you guys know what I'm talking about with some of the modern research into things that are being distributed. That they're, you know, they're talking about how there's like a basically a light switch that they could flip on and off and uh, cause a women to not conceive for like 20 years or something like that, right? So we're repeating some of these same patterns today that are going to bring about Yahuwah's wrath. And uh, anyways, Yahuwah uh, basically opens Zella's womb, 
Um, and the only reason, by the way, that I believe he would do that is because she repented. Zilla. And she conceived, and she's a she's a child of Cain. And she conceived and bare a son, and she called his name Tubal Cain, saying, After I had withered away, have I obtained him from the Almighty Elohim? So she's actually recognizing it's it's already said that the people at that time they did not recognize Elohim anymore. She does. And he opened her womb. Very interesting. And she conceived again and bare a daughter, and she called her name Naema. For she said, After I had withered away, have I obtained pleasure and delight. I somehow forgot about the important detail that Zella drank the concoction last week. I should have talked about that. It took you who to open her womb again. What I find fascinating about the Zella, Tubalcane, Naema, and Lamech family is how all these different texts focus upon their struggles with sin in, in the light of the holiness and the righteousness of Yahuwah. The fact that so many texts detail them should give us further insight into the family's importance. Why would Moshe and others put an emphasis on a random family uh, and the children of Cain, of all people, if they weren't part of Yah's family? Why is it so meaningful that Yah opens Zella's womb? Is because Naamah would go on to marry Noah and give birth to Ham, uh, as I've expressed in other uh, papers and, and teachings. Also, Tubal Cain played his part in the eternal struggle within his family dynasty, particularly as it came to the, the Mahans, the master Mahans, which I believe we went over last week. All right. So this is another interesting thing that the book of Jasher describes, which sounds like the plot line to Jurassic Park or the Jurassic World movies. And their judges and rulers went to the daughters of men. This is where I talk about how it takes the Sethite theory. It doesn't say the the Elohim, the sons of Elohim here, it just says the judges and rulers. They took their wives by force from their husbands according to their choice. So they basically go and murder the husbands, and they just they take whatever women they want. Meanwhile, they, they force them to drink these concoctions that will render them uh, uh, barren. And the sons of men in those days took from the cattle of the earth, the beast of the field, and the fowls of the air, and taught the mixture of animals of one species with the other, in order therewith to provoke Yahuwah. And Elohim saw that the whole earth, and it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted its ways upon the earth, all men and all animals. And Yahuwah said, I will blot out man, and so on and so forth. Um, he said, oh, he's going to blot out the, the birds, the cattle, everything, because they were all corrupted. So it sounds like what they were doing was genetically is they were blending them all. I don't know. Maybe this was where we get mermaids and, you know, satires and fawns and centaurs and, you know, all these creatures. Maybe that's where it came from. I don't know. Maybe those were angelic creatures, too. But... Um, it seems almost to me that because the when we do studies on angels in scripture, they are these different mixtures of animals. Um, you look at the four in front of the throne and so on and so forth, and it, it seems evident that if the angels are the watchers are ruling over the earth, over humanity, that they may have been trying to mimic what was in heaven on the earth. Just an interesting perspective there, but it was an abomination to Yahuwah. Let's see what else we see. Okay, so here are some of the descriptions of how sinful the people are. Now, I just, I'm going to be reading from a book that is not scripture in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I did I read the, from this book several months ago in this group. It was received pretty well. This is the book of Lemek of Cain and Leviathan. So remember, Lemek is uh, Zella's husband, and Lemek is the father of Naema and Tubal Cain. And this is written from his perspective. I'm just going to read a few passages here, but it's very insightful to what the world looked like. And Lemek had a daughter by the wife Zella named Naema. Now remember, Yahuwah opens her womb. And Naema, Naema was born pale and not with the, the complete mark of the line of Cain. 
Um, and we went over, I went over in, in past weeks about how the line of Cain, I believe, is leprosy. Naima was beautiful and pleasant before the eyes of all and known in the city of Enoch for her singing. That's interesting because the first song we see recorded in Scripture is by uh, the Song of Limech, and it, her, his daughter was apparently a singer. Lemek, Jobal, Jubal, and Tubalkin, then all warned Naima of the sons of Elohim. All right. So, and the sons of Elohim in the midst of the city of Enoch. So, the, there's the city of Enoch, which is uh, Cain's son, not the, the good Enoch. He builds a city, and the sons of Elohim are ruling over the city, like literally, like they're enthroned. You could go there and see these, these watchers in person. Uh, in the midst of the city of Enoch were mighty. They had power and authority, and they had their way with anyone they laid their hands upon. And they would send their thrones. They saw a beautiful woman, beautiful boy, beautiful man, whatever, have their way with them. And the sons of Elohim showed man how to mix the blood and other abominations of the city of Enoch. We kind of went over that, some of that in Jasher. The sons of Elohim were extravagant and ruled over the city of Enoch with misery, and there was no rest in their hatred. With this misery, they mocked men with songs, for the destruction of the wicked is singing. Uh, that, that's a whole different discussion right there. We see the, the, how morality, the, the deconstruction of morality is played out in songs today. Like, I don't even need to go over that. You guys just know. Like, it's, it's unbelievable how the last hundred and, well, really, post-mud flood. Uh, it started with ragtime, it went to jazz, it went to rock and roll, so on and so forth, and uh, rap music today and pop, how it's just, it's deconstructing morality through songs. That's, that's, it tells you right there that that originates with the angels. That's how they destroyed humanity through music. And there was there was violence on the earth and violence in all things, for there were less women, and the men continually sought strange flesh for gratification. The wrath of li the wrath of living things was a force that the earth had never seen. Evil spread like locusts, resting upon every part of the land, and there never will be evil such as this again. Men then uncovered the nakedness of their fathers and their mothers. So this is what we went over in the, the, the Roman study and clearly breaking Torah right there. Um, this is Torah. Like, you, you can't say that Torah didn't exist back then. This would not have been wrong if there was no law in place. It is a sin to undress, uncover the nakedness of your father or your mother or your father's wife. They uncovered the nakedness of their brothers and sisters and the nakedness of their own children disgusting and men um and men approached their blood relatives to uncover their nakedness sharing all that was carnal within their family and the prize was to uncover a woman's nakedness during her, her menstrual impurity this is what paul talks about in in romans where he says that they oh, i can't even think of the phrase right now but they um but here again this is this is torah guys this is you cannot have relations with your woman during her menstrual impurity. And yet they had flipped and inverted everything here to say that that was the prize to actually you know, be in this abominable act. They were more carnal than any men who have ever walked the earth ever since, for they did not have the understanding of man, for carnal men knew, know, and fools understand. I'm almost done with this book. Blood sacrifices were offered with leaven. Let's see, do I want to read all this? Let's see, let's skip ahead. Let's see. Okay. And this is kind of interesting. I'll just say this really quickly. Uh, we're all adults here, but I, I won't read the passage in the Book of Enoch. The Book of Enoch does say that these watchers had the geni genital organs 
the size of bulls and horses. All right. They were very large and the women were attracted to them. And it says here that Naima was seduced by those whose genital organs were the size of a beast of the field and whose ejaculation was that of a horse. So, and she lusted after the sons of Elohim, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Um, and so this, this here, according to this book, Naima fell into great sin. According to the writings of Abraham, she then uh, either repented or she lived a righteous life. And she was, uh, because there were so few women on the earth who chose righteousness, Naamah was one of the few, uh, Noah was instructed to marry her. But anyways, this is what it says here. Naamah did worship the sons of Elohim, as was the practice of that time. So the people worshiped the watchers, makes sense. And she did practice divination spells. And then it says resurrection with them. That's really interesting. That they were practicing in their worship a type of resurrection, which is very occult, very Masonic to this day. You know, that you wrap in the burial shrouds and, you know, throw them in coffins, all sorts of stuff, you know, nooses around the neck. But that's, that's a whole part of uh, secret societies today. And men in, in that changed into beast, and the beast changed into men. Well, that's really interesting. So now we're seeing there's something going on spiritually, scientifically, not really sure, but men are actually being transformed into beasts. And men yielded to the beasts and the birds to lie with them, and the men were raped mightily. And those between the land of the dead and the living that mated uh, them as well. And the Gantiqua was among them. Guys, the Gantiqua is a werewolf. All right, so it's saying in this text that men were becoming werewolves. And men came into the beast, and the beast came into men, and the earth groaned for all the sexual deviancy. All right, and I think that's all I'm going to read from that there. Um, thank you for sticking with me. There's one other passage I will give before handing it back to Michael, and this was kind of interesting. This comes from the Book of Enoch. And Enoch, the scene is that Enoch goes to the lake of fire, and he sees... Uh, these these large burning mountains, which is straight out of the uh, language of Revelation. And these these burning mountains are rolling around in, in anguish, and it's described that these are angelic beings, and they're being punished. And he says, let's just read this passage. And Uriel said to me, here shall stand the angels who have connected themselves with women and their ruach, their spirits, assuming many different forms is defiling mankind and shall lead them astray into sacrificing to demons, which we just read. That's what they were doing all through there. They, the angels came, took women, they sacrificed to demons. Here shall they stand till the day of the great judgment in which they shall be judged till they are made an end of. And the women also of the angels who went astray shall become sirens. Sirens, okay, like from Greek mythology. What is a siren? A siren is is a woman who will be like on the rocks of, of the tide that they will lure sailors in. The sailors will listen to their beautiful music and be brought into their their doom. The ships will crash. The sirens will ultimately kill them. This is a a it's something straight out of Proverbs, like an adulteress that who will you know have a lead a man's heart away from the law of Yahuwah to commit an act that will lead them to death. And uh, so I thought that was really interesting that this idea of sirens is written in the Book of Enoch that these women uh, became. And with that, I have more to state on this. Um, I'll hand it back to Michael. When I look for verses on the sirens, I found that one, Fourth Maccabees. But um, all right, back to Genesis. Let's see. 
<clears throat> I have two. I have a short one on 16, and then 19 is another big one. So 16, it says, you know, KGV says, A window shalt thou make to the ark, and a cubit shalt thou finish it above, and the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof, with lower, second, and third stories, shalt thou make it. Palestinian, way different. It says, Go thou unto the Phison, or it could be Pison, like one of the rivers, and take from thence a precious stone, and fix it in the ark to illuminate you. With the measure of a cubit or span shalt thou complete it above, and a door shalt thou set in the side of the ark, and with dwelling places, inferior, second, and third, shalt thou make it. So like I hinted, I think this Phison is the Pison, if you remember, um, four, four rivers coming out of the big, you know, the, the Garden of Eden. The Pishon, if you remember, is described as encircling the entire land of Havila, where there is gold, medallion, and onyx stone. So were these the precious stones that illuminated the ark? I think they were. So um, we should maybe look into these, these stones. Um, I think that was a good connection that the Palestinian brings up. It gives more depth to it, and if it kind of... You know, even in the Masoretic, the the Python talks about these stones. Um, I think the Palestinian did a better job of connecting the dots there, that these stones were the ones lighting the ark up for Noah to work on it. <clears throat> All right, 19 is my another long one. So this will be, I'll hand it off to Noah after this, but it's going to be a while. Um, KGV says, so, and of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort shalt thou bring into the ark, to keep them alive with thee, they shall be male and female of fowls after their kind, and of cattle after their kind, of every creeping thing on the earth after its kind. Two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive, and take thou unto thee all of food that is eaten. And thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them. <clears throat> I've brought this up like many times <clears throat> um, throughout all the other studies that, you know, it never talks about the sea life needing protection. You know, the, these are these are all land animals. Curse was the ground, as we were discussing. Why is the sea somewhat of a protection? And, you know, my take is they just had more water in their fish tank, right? Nothing, who cares, right? They just had more space to roam around in, right? Curse is the ground. The sea, the ocean, and the abyss, in my opinion, will be thrown into the fire at the end. So that's when that judgment is. And I, that's where I think the abyss is. You know, we've talked about this before. I think the abyss is under the oceans. Um, but that's that's why like it's like a holding place, and that's why um, the flood had no issue with it. And then that goes back into our talks on maritime law and all that kind of stuff, where there's a protection for now, but eventually, even that, that's going to when when death is destroyed, right at the end, um, the, the, that will be, and there'll be no more seas, right? That's what Revelation says. All right, so more on the ark, <clears throat> and Noel Noel knows this buddy, but. I was talking to a buddy about what we originally discussed in Genesis 1 regarding day 2 not being good. So if you remember, all the days were good except day 2 and day 7 were found to be good. Um, his, his thought, and this buddy is George, um, his thought was that Yod knew he would flood the world. Um, and that's why it wasn't good. So that's why <clears throat> it wasn't good because he... Had to break the firmament, or George doesn't believe in that, but break whatever the canopy is and had to flood it. You know, where, where my take was that both two and seven talk about the firmament. And so <clears throat> it wasn't good because he knew in order for him to dwell with us, he had to break it eventually. And that happens on um, when the New Jerusalem comes down, great eighth day. So that, that was my kind of take on it, why it was not good. 
but uh, it's because he knew his plan of redemption and had to break through it to, to dwell with us. Um, what do you guys think about that? Have you given any more thought about that? Why day two wasn't good? The only reason I bring it up is because we're talking about the ark and the flooding um, <clears throat> part of it. So, okay, so I'm going to put this in chat. Let's see. <clears throat> so, I'm not going to read all of this, but I'm going to just highlight some major parts. Um, just the similarity between the ark, the tabernacle, and the temple. Um, these are the, the, the verses, uh, God's design, the name of the Ark, Ark of the Covenant, obviously the Ark ship we're talking about here, um, LXX, Kabotos, threefold division, so there's three decks. Um, Tabernacle talks about the outer courtyard, holy place, holy of holies, temple, the porch, holy place, holy of holies. So again, three divisions, animal skins, um, skin of the tent of meeting, sacrificial animals, we they, Yahuwah sacrificed some animals, didn't he, when they, when they passed away? And then obviously the temple and the tabernacle. Atonement, like I mentioned before, kafar, translated to pitch. Yom Kippur, day of atonement, for both tabernacle and temple. Um, yeah, so that's it. I wanted to share that. I thought that was cool. Kind of gives you, again, there's, there's so many similarities. Yah repeats himself so much with different things, different stories, different parables, different individuals. Um, so yeah, I just want to share that. Okay, <clears throat> so Noah's three-deck arc represents, and this is someone else's take, the, the three-level of Hebrew cosmos in miniature form. So think about that. When, when Noah's on the ark, huge waters, right? Then Noah, and then the heavens. So there's heavens, the earth, and the waters beneath. So that was someone else's interpretation of this. So even that is talking about the three layers um, system. Um, and it's interesting, the, the ratio of the width to the height of both these arcs is 3.5, 3, 3.5. So I thought that was cool. The, even that is the same, the ratio of it, not the size. Um, Talmudic tradition stated that while Noah was building the ark, he had, this is interesting, and I think, yeah, I think Noel kind of mentioned this, that he attempted to warn his neighbors of the coming deluge, but was ignored and mocked. Yah, and I think Jasher talks about this, Yah placed lions and other ferocious animals to protect Noah and his family from the wicked who tried to keep them from the ark. The clean animals made themselves known by kneeling before Noah as they entered the ark. Just think about that. The clean animals did that, if it's true, obviously. And we're going to talk more about that right now. So I'm going to paste this in it and only talk about the middle part, but you guys can read it in context if you want. All right. Um... sure why did not i don't know why i put this didn't put this here so number four um and noah went and seated himself by the door of the ark remember there's only one door just like yeshua he's the only door and of all the flesh that crouched before him he brought into the ark and all that stood before him he left upon the earth and a lioness came and with her two whelps male and female and the three crouched before noah and the two whelps rose up against the lioness and smote her and made her flee from her place, and she went away. And they returned to their places and crouched upon the earth before Noah. And the lioness ran away and stood in the place of the lions. And Noah saw this and wondered greatly, and he rose and took the two whelps and brought them in the ark. Again, it, it kind of highlights what I said about that tradition where these, these animals were kneeling in front of him. Humility. Um, the animals were bowing down or crouched versus standing. The whelps were humble and were allowed in the ark. Reminds me... 
of the wheat and the tares that Yeshua talks about. So I'm going to put some more image. There it is. You guys know this. Um, but, you know, just to highlight, you know, the, the wheat bows when it's ripe. It, bow, it b- goes with the wind. If there's heavy wind, it bows down. Where the tares remain erect, remain hard. Like, they don't move. They're prideful. You know, it's the sheep and the goats. The same thing. The sheep follow the shepherd. The goats go their own way. So I just wanted to, if ja- this Jasher story is true, obviously, it, it, I thought it was cool where even the animals were humble in order to get on the ark. And it just, again, reminded me of the wheat and the tares. And, you know, like I said, Yah just continues to do the same message <laughs> so many times. Um, all right. So now I got a lot of bullet points here. Still in the ark. So according to the Sanhedrin, again, I'm just giving you other people's ideas. I'm not promoting this as truth. Um, Noah was engaged both day and night in feeding and caring for the animals and did not sleep for the entire year aboard the ark. The animals were the best of their kind and behaved with utmost goodness. They did not procreate. So the number of creatures that disembarked was exactly the number that embarked. The raven created problems, refusing to leave the ark when Noah sent it forth and accusing Noah of wishing to destroy its race. I thought that was funny. He's like, what are you doing? All the animals are still in the ark. You're sending me out there? I thought that was, that was funny. Um, okay, according to one tradition, refuge was stored on the lowest of the ark's three decks, humans and clean beasts on the second, and the unclean animals and birds on the top. A differing interpretation described the refuse as being stored in the topmost deck from where it was shoveled into the sea through a trapdoor. Precious stones as bright as the noon sun provided light, and Yah ensured the food remained fresh. Saint Hippolytus of Rome sought to demonstrate that the Ark was a symbol of Messiah who was expected, stating that the vessel had its door on the east side, the direction from which Yahushua would, would appear at the second coming, and the bones of Adam were brought aboard, together with gold, frankincense, and myrrh, symbols of you know, the nativity of Christ. He also stated that the Ark floated to and fro in the four directions on the waters, making the sign of a cross. Again, I'm not saying this is true. Um, but eventually landing on Mount Cardu in the east, in the, in the land of the sons of Rabon. And the Orientals called it Mount Godash, or Ararat. Arame- Armenians called it that. Um, let's see. So basically his take on the three, th- three decks was for wild beasts, the middle birds, and domestic animals, and then t- on the top was humans. He says male animals were separated from females um, by sharp stakes to prevent breeding. All right. Origin talks about this. Um, he was responding to a critic who doubted that the ark contained all the animals in the world. So he argued that Moses had been brought up in Egypt and would therefore have used the larger Egyptian cubit. So, you know, you take a normal cubit, it's, it's X amount. Maybe his take was maybe it was bigger. The ark was bigger because he was using an Egyptian cubit. Um, let's see. <clears throat> Hippo, saying Augustine of Hippo says the dimensions of the ark correspond to the dimensions of the human body, which according, so he's equating it with the, the body of Christ. I don't know if I believe that, but again, they're trying to link um, <clears throat> the ark with Yeshua. St. Jerome identified the raven, which was sent forth and did not return as the foul bird of wickedness, expelled by baptism. So basically when you get baptized, it's that evil, evil spirit leaving your body. Um, the dove and the olive branch came to symbolize the Holy Spirit and the hope of salvation and eventually peace. The olive branch remains a secular and religious symbol of peace today. Finally, hand it off to Noel. 
The first Josephus reports that Armenians believe that the remains of the Ark lay at the mountain of Cordians, or Kurds, in a location they call the Place of Descent. That's what I found in the Ark. I, again, I just want to highlight for enough to know um, the similarities between the Ark, the Tabernacle, and the Temple. I mean, that's amazing. Um, the animals bowing down, the clean animals bowing down and being led on the Ark. The wheat, you know, it's equating wheat and the tares again. And then what all those other guys said in, as far as the commentary. Um, that's all I got. I'll hand it back off to Noel. Well, I can't beat that. That was really good. I have about three more points I want to talk about. And you know what's amazing about this is that if we did not cover Genesis 6 tonight, everything that I would have spoken about, and presumably Michael as well, we would have tossed those notes because we would have just moved on to chapter 7. And uh, this is all these notes that I'm going for now is is leftovers from last week that we just weren't able to get to. So I'll, I'll talk about the the animals. He kind of Michael kind of stole my thunder there on the the animals that were brought to the ark. But uh, so I'll get to that in a second. But the the one thing that really stood out to me when I was reading Genesis six seventeen leading up to that, he says, "And I behold I." Uh, bring a flood of waters upon the earth to swallow up all flesh, which hath in it the spirit of life. From And then this right here, whatever is upon the earth shall be swept away. And I was really s struck by that idea, idea of being swept away. And I'm going to talk about dinosaurs. I know. Now, if anybody here has been in the Flat Earth Movement for the last several years, you know the dinosaurs are heavily frowned upon. You know, they're all a hoax. They didn't exist. It's all made up. So on and so forth. And I've I've tried to look at this in any different ways. I, for one, do believe that these fossils that they are digging up are legitimate, that they are true, and I can't explain what they were. I do believe that there were dragons on the Earth and that these dinosaurs were fit the description of dragons. Now, did they live in Noah's time or were they pre-Genesis uh, 1-2? That could very well be an option, that we are actually looking at a type of seraphim-type creatures that were actually on the earth and destroyed. I don't really know. But I'm going to give you a, a couple of um, pieces of uh, information that probably never really hear in any ordinary social intellectual circle. And that is that almost all of these fossils that they find, they are found in the asphyxiated uh, position, meaning they suffocated for lack of oxygen due to drowning. The classic example of this is the arch, uh, the Archaeopteryx, the the Berlin one. You can look it up online, and its neck is bent backwards as though it was asphyxiated. It drowned, and most of these, uh, which of course is what a fossil is, right? And you could look up all what a fossil is. But I always kind of wonder if, if, if the idea is to deceive everybody uh, into this, these fake dinosaurs that once roamed the earth, why would they? have them all drown in flood water and then lie to it and say, well, pay no attention to the flood water. And I'll give you ex some examples. It, it, time and time again, there, these fossils are found in, in groups where it appears that they, you know, they'll tell you, oh, they were all uh, just crossing a river and they all died or something like that. Now, my wife and I, years ago, I think it was probably back in 2010, we went to an amazing dig site, St. George, Utah. And they, you go there and they will they'll show you all these, um, these footprints 
And like you can actually see parts in the rocks uh, where the actual skin of these dragons were fossilized. You could see the scales of their skin. And there's one where it's actually what they claim is a uh, a butt print. Like literally the dinosaur dragon sat down and that's its butt print. And they, they will claim it's the Dilophosaurus. If you ever saw Jurassic Park, that's the one that, that spits the, the venom. <clears throat> and... And so you go and look at this and they will tell you, well, over millions of years, these these dinosaurs were walking around and, you know, they just kind of walked and all of a sudden their prints got fossilized. And this one sat down right here and it got fossilized and so on and so forth. Right. Well, I encountered a, a young earth creationist group afterwards who claimed to be there when the site was discovered. And what they did is they cried foul, and they were quickly removed. They were scrubbed from the scene. They think that what happened was is that the the paleontologist, which again is one of the most corrupt, uh, uh, you know, um, practices. It's very corrupt, and you know they will say, "Well, see, that's proof that's all lies." Well, no, it's you know Wall Street is corrupt, the White House is corrupt. There's corruption everywhere, right? Well, what they were doing was is they were taking this scene that showed unquestionably that everything there was swept away by flood water. And they actually, they said they were removing evidence and they were moving the fossils around and making them appear as though they, they were in different positions. So what was actually happening at St. George was showing a scene that happened within a minute of time. You're literally seeing the, uh, the fountains of the deep spring up and start what, and then you start seeing these animals start freaking out, and they start running everywhere and crossing tracks. You can see the tracks crossing each other, and then the water picks up the animals and starts carrying them down the current. And you could see where they're digging their claws into the ground, trying to stay afloat. And, but then the water picks up even more violently, and you could follow the trail, and you could watch as it, as it's bashing them against the rocks. And imprinting their skin on it. It's an amazing scene that shows how quickly the destruction happens. I just wanted to kind of point, throw that out there for your consideration. As you know, we look at this fossil record, and on one hand, a lot of the the, the flat earthers and truthers out there are saying it's all fake. On the other hand, the, the the people running the show are saying, no, this happened over millions of years. And I'm just saying maybe there's some common ground we can find in the middle and that the Bible is true and that you're actually seeing these monsters that the, the Book of Giants talked about and so on and so forth. The other thing I wanted to cover was that in the Genesis Targum in chapter 6, verse 20, it says that the animals that came to the ark were led. It says they shall enter to thee by the hand of the angel. Now, I find that really fascinating because we've already seen that the animals all across the earth were totally corrupted and in a number of ways and in ways that couldn't be fixed so it took the hand of an angel we don't know who this angel is maybe there's some references out there i didn't do a stand who this angel is uh, but it took the the hand of an angel to actually find the last remaining animals on the earth who were genetically pure and i always think that there had to be an amazing scene to you know to be like you know, there's this, you know, Noah's always depicted as the crazy man out in the wilderness building a, an ark. And you're there in the surrounding cities and you look out your window and you see um, see a couple of lions walk by and they're like, well, that's that's weird. And then you see, you know, a couple of pandas and then you see like, you know, seven or I should say 14 giraffes. Giraffes are clean animals. 
Um, and just crazy scenes. So anyways, Michael kind of stole my thunder a little bit on, on Josh, which is cool. Uh, but the, I was going to read that whole scene. And it's a really funny scene in Jasher where Noah is completely perplexed because all these animals come and some of them, um, they, they kind of just wait around. Maybe, I, you know what? No, I'm not going to read the whole thing. We're getting late into the night. But what happened was is that when the flood water, water started, according to Jasher, this comes from chapter six. You can read it for yourself. Noah is he's watching the scene unfold that all these people are running and trying to get onto the ark and destroy it. Well, Yahuwah brought these animals there to defend it. And so all of a sudden, like the bears and the lions and everything, they're turning on the people and attacking them. And they were brought there just for that purpose. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, they gave their lives. They didn't make it onto the ark, but they gave their lives for the Most High. And uh, and the last thing that oh the one passage it does say in there in Joshua we'll get to it next week in chapter seven uh, we haven't got there in Genesis yet it says two by two came to Noah into the ark but from the clean animals and clean fowls he brought seven couples as Yoh as Elohim had commanded him so there right there we see that there were clean animals and unclean animals before the Torah was given on Mount Sinai it's really awkward for anyone who claims that. Um, the Torah was done away with, and therefore we can eat unclean animals again. But clearly there were clean animals before the flood. And one of the things we see in Jubilees that seems to be part of the contention that Yahuwah had was that they, um, let me see if I can find this passage here. It says, and iniquity increased on the earth and all flesh corrupted its ways, like men and cattle and beasts and birds and everything that walks on the earth, all of them corrupted their ways, their orders, and they began to devour each other. And an iniquity increase in the earth. And there's something about the mankind not appreciating the food that was given to them um, and going for the unclean animals that increased the iniquity on the earth. It says, it says in verse 21 of chapter 6 of the Genesis Targum, and thou take to thee of all food that is eaten. All right. So the only food that would be eaten would be, as you guys know, the clean animals. Again, it's a little awkward that there were clean animals on the ark if there were no clean animals in because the Torah hadn't been given yet. You go to the, 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 the ark encounter in Kentucky, and they will show you. They, they never talk about that. They show they never once quote it. They, they will show you the two-by-two, two, the animals going two-by-two. Two, but it's like, well, but what about the clean animals? There wasn't just two animals. There was 14 of them, 14 sheep, 14 cattle, 14 giraffes. Uh, what are other clean animals? I guess uh, 14 turkey, 14 chicken, right? 14 people will argue ducks, but let's just say ducks are clean, 14 ducks. Um, anyways, that's all the commentary I think I have tonight. So I'm going to hand it back to Michael. It's all yours. <clears throat> all right. I don't have much left either. We'll open it up. I just have one thing on 22. <clears throat> it says, thus did Noah, according to all that Yah commanded him, so did he. Yeah. Um, a few things additional on Noah. The book of Jubilees refers to Noah and says that he was taught the arts of healing by an angel so that his children could overcome the offsprings of the watchers. And then in the book of Enoch, chapter 10, Uriel was dispatched by the Most High to inform Noah of the approaching deluge. So I thought those were cool little nuggets. And then again, I love doing the similarity things. Um, did Yeshua and Adam, just did Moses. And Noah, and now I'm going to do Noah and Yeshua. And 
Look at that. Uh, this is this is how I'm going to end it. So they're both carpenters. Noah was a carpenter. Yeshua was a carpenter. Noah's building. That's what Yeshua did. Um, they're both righteous, blameless, and walked faith with, faithfully with Yah. Interesting. The ark only had one door in its side. There was only one way into the ark. Yeshua said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. He also said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Only way. The ark had many rooms. Reminded me of that Isaiah passage I shared earlier about go hide before the indignation will get you. Yeshua said, in my father's house there are many rooms. Noah did everything as Yah had commanded. Speaking of Yah, Yeshua said, I always do what pleases him. Both established a covenant. Noah's, Noah's covenant, Yeshua with the new covenant, <clears throat> or renewed, whatever you, you take there. Both had flocks, <laughs> animals. Yeshua had sheep. Both had doves. After the flood, he sends out a dove, the Holy Spirit, wisdom being sent out. Um, as mentioned above, the Hebrew word for pitch is kafar, and it's used 70 times in the Bible. It's a mean atonement as it relates to blood sacrifice. Yeshua gave his blood, his atonement. <clears throat> Finally, this blew me away. Um, you know, I've, I've always thought Yeshua was the second Adam. He was the second Adam. But if you actually look at that word, it's eschatos, which means last, or end, you know, eschatology, the end days, last days. It doesn't mean second, it means last. So Yeshua was the last Adam. But Noah was a kind of Adam. So Noah was the second Adam, while Christ is the last Adam. So he's, Noah was the second Adam in the sense that he's in charge of a new earth after the flood, just as Adam was in charge of the new earth at the beginning. Yeshua is the last Adam in the sense that he's in charge of a new creation covenant and new heavens and the new earth when he comes. Amazing. Like these things help me. Like, <laughs> hope you guys are blessed by this. But I just love seeing the similarities and the connections. But uh, that's what I got. Uh, I made a note for you to go over verse five, all your notes, but you already did. So I think we're good to go. Either open it up, I guess. Yeah. I, uh, the case rests. I handed over to the three. Let us know your thoughts. And I hope you guys were taking notes. So anything in Genesis chapter six of the targum anything surrounding it as well as if you guys want to talk about if you've had time to think about romans chapter one handing it over to you guys <laughs>